I'm Riel, and today you are listening to Infinite Minds, Episode 6, Anxiety, Not Always a Panic, on WEC 89.7 Eau Claire, Wisconsin. That again is WEC 89.7 Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Ah, anxiety, something that plagues many minds in today's world. About 6.8 million people are diagnosed with GAD, also known as Generalized Anxiety Disorder, in 2022. That is about 3.1% of the U.S. population. It is very common, especially with the conditions in today's society. However, it appears there tends to be confusion on what actually separates anxiety from nervousness. Before I discuss the differences and also, which unfortunately I was supposed to have a guest speaker, but something came up for them. So I will just be talking about my experiences with anxiety and the stigma and prejudice by myself. It is important that we understand the different types of anxiety-related neurodivergence. Now, the most common form in our world today is generalized anxiety disorder, which I explained before, also known as GAD. It is characterized by chronic or intense anxiety, exaggerated worry and tension, even if there's little to nothing to be worried about. There also includes insomnia, fatigue, and difficulty concentrating our also, prominent symptoms. GAD can often blend with other types of neurodivergence, so it can often be difficult to diagnose because, like, an example is I have ADHD, but here's the thing with neurodivergence. Usually it comes in with a package, so you might have one, but there's a bunch of others that come with it. So, moving on to another type of an anxiety-related neurodivergence is OCD, which is obsessive-compulsive disorder which is within the anxiety neurodivergent spectrum, is often characterized with consistent unwanted thoughts, which is known as obsessions, and repetitive behavior, which is known as compulsions. Oftentimes, not being able to perform compulsion causes intense anxiety or stress, which OCD I will be discussing more elaborately in a separate episode, and hopefully I can find a guest speaker for OCD so we can get an idea of what it's actually like other than what media tends to show of this like an example would be Sheldon which honestly he is kind of a good example of the spectrum because of his knocking like knock 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 penny knock 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 penny knock 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 penny that's a, a generalized kind of example of how an compulsion would work for OCD however it's not always the same for everybody everybody has a different compulsion whether big or small now moving on there is panic disorder which is often characterized with unexpected and repetitive episodes of intense fear which is often is accompanied by chest pains dizziness abdominal stress shortness of breath and many many more another one is PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder which often develops when a person is exposed to a distressing and traumatic event, which causes great harm to them, whether physical or psychological. Certain situations can trigger a PTSD response that are related or have similarity to the event that you experienced. PTSD is a very vast kind of neurodivergence, and not one is the same. It goes for every neurodivergence that I will be explaining in my podcast. So... An example would be maybe this person had been sexually assaulted so they can't really talk to men without being triggered or like a war victim can't really be near any sounds that are similar to gunshots or they can't sit as specifically. I know that my dad who used to 
who is deployed in Iraq had cannot sit in a specific way because otherwise he'll have a panic attack because he can't sit away from people where they can come behind him. So that's just an example of the spectrum of different types of responses and triggers. Last but not least is social phobia, which is also known as social anxiety. I know a lot of us can relate to this neurodivergence. It's oftentimes characterized by intense anxiety when presented in a social situation, which can range from speaking publicly, eating or drinking in front of people, or to being in crowded social situations. It can also be as intense as to having this anxiety when just around people. Now, having an anxiety disorder is so much more than being nervous. As I always say, in order to define the difference between neurodivergence and a regular emotion, you must understand, does this affect my everyday life? Does it affect my quality of my life? If yes, then it is very possible you may have anxiety rather than simple nervousness. Now that we understand the many different types of anxiety disorders that exist in our world today, we can help define the line of what is truly anxiety and what is nervousness and how they are complete opposites of each other. Now, we all have our moments when we describe something that is uncomfortable gives us anxiety when it's sometimes actually nervousness. Nervousness is more so a response to something specific, whether it be a first date or an interview. It is a valid emotion that can be uncomfortable to feel. Everyone has the right to be nervous and be valid for it. However, this feeling fades. It is short term. It isn't the same for anxiety. Now, anxiety is a long-term condition, something that doesn't leave you so easily. It is a daily occurrence that happens many times in waves and ranges to everything in one's daily life. Anxiety can occur without reason. Your body will just go into a flight or fight response. Anxiety can also cause intrusive or dark thoughts when you go down into the cycle of anxiety. The more you fall into those thoughts, the more disturbing they can get. How often these thoughts and anxiety occurs depends on the person. Speaking of differences, today I unfortunately will be discussing this neurodivergence by myself as, as I said, my guest speaker is unavailable. So when was I diagnosed? I was diagnosed about two years ago with GAD, Generalized Anxiety Disorder. And when do I think my anxiety developed? I think I've had anxiety pretty much my entire life. I've always been a very fickle person and it just, it really, really came up into a problem when I got into middle school and high school and even now in college. Do I take medication? And if so, does it help? Yes, I take medication. There's the medication I take is sertraline, which can be also used for depression, but the main reason I'm using it is for anxiety. Now, am I in therapy and do I think it helps? As my previous podcast, I am taking therapy and in the matter from anxiety, it sometimes helps because they validate my worries as well as calm me down that these things will happen because a lot of times my brain will just create intrusive thoughts that aren't even true. Like trigger warning for one about this topic. Like maybe if I kill myself then everybody else will and just those kinds of thoughts of like someone drowning and how is that gonna ever happen but what if it does happen and just trying to go with my daily life and these things happen so 
Another one is, what do I do to cope with intense anxiety? I try to bring myself back to reality because whenever I get into a cycle of anxiety, you kind of start to think about thoughts that aren't really humanly possible or very, very, very unlikely. So I just try to bring myself back like this is not going to happen. It's in like once in a million years that this could ever happen as well as kind of just soothe myself because usually when I get anxiety, I start to get migraines. I start to get really sick. So I need to prevent that because it's not a really fun feeling to have a migraine. It's not really fun to feel like I'm going to vomit in a matter of seconds because of how anxious my body is. My body tends to go into flight or fight response very quickly and it's not healthy for our bodies. It's not natural to be put in that state almost every day of our life. It can actually be detrimental to your health. More examples of intrusive thoughts one can have with anxiety and even with depression or with really any neurodivergence is that you will just randomly stop breathing, stop breathing in your sleep, or am I insane? Am I going crazy? This keeps happening. Or am I alive? Or like that dissociation and depersonalization, which happens a lot with me, that I get extreme anxiety when I realize that I am in a state of depersonalization, that I'm like, who am I? What am I looking at? What is this? Is this even real? There's also, um, I'm going to choke on food. That's another anxiety, which sometimes deters people from actually taking care of themselves because they're so scared of this happening. There's also that you're worried that you might do something stupid. I mean, everybody is, but when it comes to anxiety, it, it gets more intense. You, you won't stop thinking about it. It's on a ticker tape. And once it's on that ticker tape, it's really hard to get out of it. I know how that feels. A lot of times I go through a ticker tape of not being able to get myself out of an anxious cycle. And so in order to get out of that, usually I talk to people or I just, I kind of just try to relax myself into a state of peace. So then my brain can relax and know that it's safe instead of terrified and needing to be constantly aware and be afraid of everything around me. Now, some stigma and prejudice statements that usually relate to anxiety. The first one that I'm going to discuss is stay relaxed. If you begin to get nervous, just take a few deep breaths. You'll be fine. That's that's like telling someone who's drowning, just start swimming. You're going to you're going to live. You're fine. Yeah, once I'm in that anxious state, oftentimes it's really hard to get out of it cuz your brain's like, "Oh my god, I'm in danger. I need to do something. Oh god, I I don't know what's going on. Help." And so, just telling someone to relax is probably I know it's you're trying to help but it's probably the worst thing you could tell somebody when they're having an anxiety attack or in an anxious state the best you can do in that situation is ask them if they need anything or if they just need someone to be there with them it's the same with the statement of oh you can just snap out of it if you want to I mean if you really think about it why would I be having this anxiety attack if I didn't want it if I didn't if I didn't want it, if I had the ability to snap out of it, I would have already. But unfortunately, sometimes you don't have control over how your brain works. It's not always easy to tell yourself, oh, it's fine. Everything's fine. You don't need to have a panic attack about something. There's also those who don't believe anxiety actually exists, which is really unfortunate because when you don't believe something exists, that means a lot of people get shunned and a lot of people get put in the shadows. 
and lost and confused on why they feel this way. Anxiety is very real. I mean, everything that I feel is very, very real. It It's so bad that it affects me physically. I mean, as I said, I get nauseous. I have extreme headaches. It's, it's just, it's not fake. It's not something people would want to fake. It's It's very real. I know that we tend to think that these feelings just can't possibly be true because we never experienced them. But those who have experienced it really understand the realness of how bad anxiety can get and just how bad prejudice and stigma can hurt people who may be undiagnosed or diagnosed get pushed back into the shadows that we already have been fighting to get out of. Another statement that comes with anxiety is that people with anxiety are weak. I mean, that's like telling somebody who broke a leg is weak, that they're, they, you could have done something about it. I mean, anybody could have done something about it, but it happens. Things happen. It, we don't have control over situations or what comes our way in our path of life. And so it's just really demonetizing to tell somebody that, oh, you're, you're just weak. That's why you got anxiety. I mean, just because I have anxiety or that I obtained anxiety doesn't make me any less strong than you are. I mean, ha experiencing anxiety and all these different types of neurodivergence, which some are treatable or put to the point that they are culpable, makes us stronger because we've walked through a difficult part of life. We know the feelings of the lowest of lows and the highest of highs. So no, people with anxiety are not weak. We are strong and we're strong for trying to get through the toughness of what it's like to have anxiety. A lot of stigma around anxiety in general has to do with telling someone to calm down or that, oh, you can get through this. It's not actually true and all that kind of stuff that relates to bringing down the state of anxiety. I know a lot of people are trying to help, but ableist statements don't help. They just make us feel pathetic and just that we're doing something wrong, but we aren't doing anything wrong. We're trying to help ourselves. Of course, there's some people who are in denial about having anxiety or any neurodivergence and don't help themselves, re resulting in a detrimental low in their mental health state and there's also the generalization of anxiety not one anxiety is the same and it's kind of hurtful to try to put up a set of very very specific symptoms that would qualify as anxiety of course we gotta have something to lead us the way to help diagnose people but at the same time we can't hold on to the old we can use it to benefit us and create newer more refined lists that are more broad and allow creativity and more of an open-minded kind of thinking of like, oh, so this and this, you might have anxiety or you have anxiety because you have similarities to this. I mean, not one anxiety presents itself the same, as I said before. I mean, it can go from having difficulty regulating your emotions to trying to control people or situations to bring you that sense of security that you have control over your life or over yourself when sometimes you don't, unfortunately. There's also 
physical ailments, which I have described that I have physical ailments when I have anxiety. There's also over planning events just in case something happens that is very, very unlikely to happen. There's also feeling worried about situations, but like intensely worried. And even then that feeling can vary. Another is like avoiding events because it might trigger anxiety, which is good. And also a little not good. I mean, avoiding your triggers is very good. So then you don't put yourself in that situation. But at the same time, it helps you realize that it's preventing you from possibly living a quality life. Because I mean, isolation isn't always good. I know a lot of us prefer isolation. A lot of us prefer socialization. I know I isolate myself, but it's not always good to do that because it kind of brings a detriment into your mental health status. There are so many different types of symptoms that can come with a neurodivergence. And a lot of times, as I said in my previous podcast, they tend to bleed into each other. So it makes it really hard to understand our brains and understand neurodivergence. But if we make a list and find very common similarities, as well as putting down maybe those outliers, it might help us diagnose people a little better. Because in general, anxiety is about an unpleasant feeling of intense worry or fear, like your body going into that flight or fight response. Anxiety responses are very consistent as well, rather than how one would feel about nervousness. And many times anxiety upcomes at random times. It doesn't usually have a reason. I could be enjoying my day and having a great time and my body's like, oh, well, it's time to have an anxiety attack. Clearly you're in danger, so I need to get you ready to run for your life. Of course, there are situations with anxiety that it does have an upbringing from a situation as I described in PTSD and OCD. Although not a many time are they aware of why they're in a anxiety-like state. Sometimes these triggers happen in the subconscious and one doesn't completely understand why it's happening. But many times people will understand why they're having an anxiety attack because it relates to this, this event or in OCD, I'm not able to complete my routine. So it comes to an anxious-like state of fight or flight that you aren't able to satisfy your compulsions that your brain desperately needs. Pretty much in total, anxiety is a really complex thing. It goes for every neurodivergence. I can't ever say one's more complex than the other because it's a huge web and we are not even at the beginning of how to describe mental health and neurodivergence. We're at the very start. I, I feel like we as a society think we're very far in technology, but we're not really far in our understanding of the mind and the brain because it's like it's ourselves trying to understand ourselves. It's really difficult. It's like a paradox. Seems like I'm about out of time. So thank you for listening to Infinite Minds on WEC 89.7 Eau Claire, Wisconsin. I am your host, Brielle, and I hope to see you on next week's Sunday's episode, Misophonia, The Curse of Everyday Noises.